Computer, initialize Holosuite. To the Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. My name is Kyle West, and I'm joined by Chris Hill. Chris, say hello. Hello. Okay, so why are we here this week? We're here to talk about Shockwave Part One, the season one finale. We will be covering part two next week on the show. So this week will just be about the first part, and looking forward to getting into it with you Chris before that Chris how have you been you know what's new is anything new for you been doing all right was up for promotion but they gave it to somebody else but you know <sighs> set phases to kill set phases to kill man there was something good that came out of this week though okay found a uh, tv guide from 2005 specifically february february 20th through the 26th and in it it gave a little uh, preview for the series finale of our much-beloved Enterprise. Okay, God, that that mess of a, a finale. Hit us, man. Give us these words. Right. For, give us these words from 15, almost 16 years ago now, actually. All right, so on the front cover, it says, Star Trek's hot finale details with an exclamation point. In case you happen to have said TV guide from 2005, it is on page 15. I would be amazed if we have <laughs> listeners who also have this this TV guide from 15 years ago. <laughs> and and if they do, they need to let us know which cover they have. If it's Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, or Jimmy Johnson, because there was three covers that week. That's the question put out there then to the uh, listeners. So it's titled, Star Trek Goes Out in a Blaze of Glory. Not even Captain Kirk could have saved Star Trek Enterprise. The UPN series will end its four-year run May 13th, due to a steep drop in viewers, just 2.9 million this season. Quote from Rick Berman, And I don't think an appearance by William Shatner would have mattered. He'd been in talks with the Trek icon, hoping that a guest shot would lure lapsed Trekkies back. But the writing was on the wall last year when UPN moved us to Friday nights, and the network began skewing in a different direction. That would be towards young female viewers. You have Trip, you have Malcolm. Scott Bakula's still pretty pretty good shirtless. He was muscular. He was he was toned back then. Which we'll kinda of go into detail later on in this episode, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Berman promises that Enterprise will end with, quote, a little Valentine to all Trek fans. Word is it will include Star Trek the Next Generations, Jonathan Frakes, Riker, and Marina Sirtis, Troy. It might be true, but I'm not telling, Berman says. I will say that the finale is surprising something we've never done before, and it might involve people from another Star Trek show. Michael Logan was the writer from TV Guide. Well, it definitely was surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give him that. I'll give him that. I'd forgotten all about the uh, William Shatner links and rumours and mm-hmm. stuff uh, about trying to get him in for that fourth season. Gosh, it's uh, like a blast from the past. Why have you still got that magazine, may I ask? 
It was actually because Dale Earnhardt Jr. was on the cover, and at the time I was really big into NASCAR. More so, actually, I'd say probably than Star Trek at the time. And Junior was my favorite driver. Oh, so it's just by like sheer coincidence that you've got this yeah. one that discusses the finale then. Wow. Wow. What's the chances of that? Gosh. Well, thank you for that, Chris. Okay. Uh, before we get into the season one finale, though, a little bit of business. Please do not forget to subscribe to this show if you haven't already. Thank you so much to everyone who, who already has. It's so easy, guys. For example, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now on your phone, you've just got to open up your phone just on our podcast page on your app. Just hit that subscribe button. That's all you've got to do. And then you subscribe and you'll get notifications whenever we drop a new episode. So you never, ever forget. Please, if you get a chance as well, please just rate us. You don't even need to review us. You can just rate us. Where you see those stars or whatever it is on whatever app you're using, just hit the button for five stars, whatever it is. Just give us a nice good ranking. It's good for our algorithms and it will help us get seen by more and more people as we continue to grow this podcast in this new year. Do not forget as well that we are on Patreon. We'll run an ad for that later. But you can get early access to episodes, exclusive podcast episodes that we do not release on our general audience feed and lots more. So please go to patreon.com forward slash NX01 podcast and have a look and see if anything takes you fancy there. For those who are already subscribed to us on Patreon, just a massive, massive thank you to you. Your support makes it all worthwhile for us, and we've really enjoyed the conversations that we have privately with each of you as well, so thank you so much. Okay, it's time to talk Shockwave. Part one. Gosh, I remember watching this back in the day, you know. Yeah. So I'm going to quickly go into a plot description of the episode, and then uh, I'm going to start hitting you with some questions about it. So the very basic events of the episode are that the Enterprise are visiting, I think, like a mining facility or something on a... Yeah, mining colony. Yeah, on uh, on a planet. They go down to visit it. Whilst they're on the way, talking about casually about just the society down there, a matriarchal society, I believe. There's a big explosion. The shuttle pod is rocked. And we cut to outside the shuttle pod where we see the planet basically burning up. As if it's been hit by a nuke or something. It is just... Yeah. It's gone. And then we hit the credits. We come back. We find out that all 3,600 people on the mining colony are dead. There is nothing there. So everyone that was there just died in an instant. I'm guessing there was families and stuff there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, children were lost and everything. It looks like it was Enterprise's fault. Uh, Reed is adamant that certain valves and all this stuff were closed. But Archer seems to not believe him. Archer's taken it really bad. Starfleet call him back. So it looks like the mission's going to, well, the mission has been scrapped, basically, from the sounds of it, until Archer receives a visit from a character thought dead earlier in the season. Crewman Daniels makes a return. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly, because we thought he'd been blown to pieces. Or maybe he still was, we don't know. We never got an answer to that, actually. So yeah, we find out, actually, it was a Suliban that did it, and they were trying to frame the Enterprise. So Archer's on a mission to prove their innocence, keep the mission alive, so they go to a Suliban ship with information that Daniels gave them, found the proof that it wasn't the Enterprise that would keep the Vulcans and Starfleet happy enough to let the Enterprise mission continue and keep the timeline intact. Doing so leads to the Suliban following them, 
Future Guy tells Silic that he wants Archer brought to him. He's not really concerned about the data that proves uh, the involvement of Enterprise or the Sulaban. just wants Archer. This all comes to an end with the ship surrounded by lots and lots of Sulaban ships, about 30 of them. Phasers locked on like the warp core. Archer surrenders himself on the agreement that they'll leave Enterprise alone, but as he tries to get over to the ship, he finds himself in the future, 31st century, except it's not how we think it would look. Earth is a barren wasteland. He sees Daniels, and Daniels doesn't know what's happened, but basically they're now trapped in the future. They have no way of sending Archer back because all their technology is destroyed as well. Time travel, it's a big no-no end of episode and that was season one yeah chris when would you have watched this then so i'm thinking of when you started to watch enterprise you're watching it after it completed yeah. so when about would you have seen this and would you have seen it in order with the season or did you see them out of order i do believe i did see it in order if i did if i saw like a, you know a couple episodes there in season four and then decided to go to barnes and noble and pick up the dvd set that would have been been it but i do remember watching shockwave part one and being oh wow this is crazy i know right? i always think that on 10th March 2021, our weekly discussion will focus on the Star Trek Enterprise novel, Daedalus. This was the fourth original Enterprise novel, following by the book What Price Honor and Surak's Soul, which we have previously reviewed on this podcast and can be found on our podcast feed. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss in our 10th of March 2021 show, then please dig out your copy of Daedalus or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our next book club brew. So let's talk about your first thoughts on the teaser, which for anyone who doesn't understand the lingo, the teaser is the bit before the credits where we saw the destruction of the mining colony. I mean, did you go into yeah. this blind? No spoilers. So were you thinking like, oh my God, what the hell has happened? Yeah. And I was trying to figure it out the same way the, the crew was like, okay, Reed usually isn't, you know, adamant unless he actually did what he said. Yeah. So something's up. And then when it was revealed that it was the Sulaban that did it, spoiler, by the way, <laughs> that was just just kind of bit mind-blowing there did it ever cross your mind before that reveal that it could be temporal cold war related or was it just so far removed from from your mind that you never considered it at that point first watching through it i think it was a little bit removed yeah don't remember if i'd heard if they'd gotten to the romulan war or not so i was thinking maybe this is where they were kind of kicking it in ah right yeah okay yeah well, we would get a mention of them in the next episode. Yes. <laughs> so you uh, you kind of had the vibe, the right vibe going on. I cannot remember my first reactions to it, but I can tell you now that when I watch that teaser now, I'm still almost in shock at the destruction and the death toll that we see in that teaser. Just out of nowhere, boom, 3,600 people dead. And it was such yeah. during such a casual conversation on the shuttle pod as well. We talked a couple of weeks ago about like, you know, 9-11 mm -hmm. and Enterprise was whether it was intended or not became a response to 9-11. And I kind of take that sequence there of, and it can be applied to any situation where an attack happens, but where just your casual daily life is, is taking place, you just have a normal mm -hmm. conversation and then disaster strikes and just people are just yeah. dead straight away and... Uh, and lives get turned upside down, really, for those on the ship. They thought the mission was over. Hoshi was talking about going back to teach in Brazil, you know. So I kind of look at it like that, that I think they nailed it of just how disaster struck. There was no warning for this. And yet we saw one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest instantaneous massacres we've seen in Star Trek at that point. Yeah. And, you know, just to happen right there and then. So uh, even now I'm shocked by it and i think the, the special effects the 
computer-generated effects are brilliant for that that shot of the uh, planet basically burning up. I mean, I don't remember if it ever crossed my mind that it could be Temporal Cold War. Uh, maybe I would have seen it. I would probably seen a trailer, and I imagine the trailers probably gave away the attack a on the Suleiman ship. So yeah, I imagine that I probably was aware of that side of things. Was it a no-brainer that the Temporal Cold War would or maybe should have been the focus of the season finale, though? So even if it wasn't in your head that it could be Temporal Cold War, looking back, are you thinking, well, of course it was going to be Temporal Cold War. That was the main storyline. That's kind of how they started it, or started it, you know, by setting it up and, and everything. Yeah, I think the Temporal Cold War was only dipped into every now and then. Even the first season, which sort of did more with it than any other season. I think it was always going to be the closing story we hadn't really seen much on it beyond cold front which had about half the season before this and we'd had some seen the Suleban and stuff since but we'd had mentions of the Suleban in the previous episode two days and two nights you can check out our audio commentary of that on our podcast feed uh, if you haven't listened to it already guys so yeah i think it was a, it was a no-brainer that we were going to see something with the temporal cold war i don't think we really got the information about temporal cold the temporal cold war that we would have liked though we didn't yeah. really find out anything more. We found out some more in the next episode, but we'll talk about that next week. Now, I want to talk about reactions to the situation because we saw Archer playing the blame game a little bit uh, when they were in sickbay immediately after and even in scenes after that. Paul was the yeah. one trying to sort of keep people, I guess, emotionally in control, uh, wanting to calm the situation down. You know, what's happened's happened. We need to just take stock of the situation now. But Archer was accusing of Reed, I thought, and he just was, he's having a bit of a temper tantrum. So was it a lack of leadership from Archer when it mattered most? When he was needed to be the leader, did he fail in that moment? Because Admiral Forrest warns him about this as well later on. He says, you know, you can't let this get you down. Your crew are going to be looking to you for how they need to behave. So, you know, don't let them down. You know, do we think until he knows that Enterprise wasn't responsible, that actually Archer was dealing very badly as a leader. Yeah, I think so. He was kind of letting things get to him probably a little more than he should have. But then again, it is kind of understandable, you know, you know, this has basically been his, been two generations life's work and it's about to go down the drain. He's wanting to rule out, you know, the, the human error, but he's going about it the wrong way. Yeah. There's a context to his reaction, which isn't in the script but is there under the surface. Like you said, it's two generations of work have gone into this mission. He knows the mission is going to be scrapped based off of this. He knew it straight away. And and I think, yeah, he said the weight of that was on him. But at the same time, that's for him private. I don't think he can be behaving like that in front of people. Yeah. You know, we saw Malcolm snapping back at him. And Archer made some little digs at Malcolm as well uh, later on the bridge. So, you know, Archer, he wanted to point his finger at someone. Yeah. It wasn't even like Archer wanted to blame himself and the crew. He he wanted someone specifically that he could pin it on. Because uh, even when they were looking at logs and stuff, it was that Reed told them that something was closed. It was read this, read yeah. that. And even DePaul's having to say, well, you know, the, uh, the logs say that these things were completely functional. So... Mm-hmm. She's having to sort of calm him down. But I think it hits home why Archer is such a good captain is that he is the most human of all yeah. our captains. And by human, I mean 21st century human that we are now. He's the one closest to us. Um, even Kirk was, I think, at least in the TV show, I think Kirk was a version of 
humanity that we aren't quite now. I, I just think yeah. he had a history to him that wasn't that made him a different man. I think movie Kirk is different. They grounded him and they stripped him back a bit more, reading glasses, you know, things like that. But Archer's the one who who can have temper tantrums and all these things. I just think it was a shame. But to be fair to him, though, what he he did pull it together, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So a question about Daniels. I mean, we saw him back. We will never know how, unless Discovery shocks us with, or Lower Decks or something, with some kind of explanation as to how it happened. Yeah. When I was watching this this time, it occurred to me that we actually, off the top of my head, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever see Daniels on the Enterprise again after Cold Front. I don't think. Oh, apart from Stormfront. Yeah. When he comes back and he's all twisted and stuff. But that's that's in the past. The ship is in the past when that happens. So we never see Daniels on on the NX-01 again, I think, in the the period that Enterprise takes place, 2151 to yeah. So we don't really know what happened to him when he got shot and killed, so to speak. But do we think something happened there that meant that Daniels was not able to go back to the Enterprise? Like, whatever happened to him made the Enterprise a zone that he couldn't visit anymore? Because wouldn't he go back and take his tech out of there? Yeah, I guess say if... Unless, you know, quote-unquote, dying in a time period where you're at, you know, is something that violates the temporal accords or, or you know, whoever's directing the, the temporal agency with the Federation, you would think that they'd at least want to send the person back to grab all of the tech. Exactly. So there's got to be something that stopped that. And if you think about this episode, Daniels, when he goes back, goes to a day before uh, Clang's arrival on Earth mm-hmm. uh, in Archer's apartment. And I think... It, uh, when we see Daniels next after the shockwave story, I believe it's at the uh, oh god. Well, we see him on like the Enterprise J. We see him at the sign of the Federation charters in twenty one sixty one. We don't see him in the normal time period on Enterprise. Yeah. So I started to think that intentional or not by the writers, maybe it meant that yeah, you know, whatever that getting broken into pieces thing was with him, maybe that prevented him from from going back onto Enterprise. Maybe it became a hotspot that he couldn't visit anymore. I don't know. It seems a bit peculiar to me. And we never got the rules, did we? We never found out rules. No. Uh, here's one question about that apartment scene then. Obviously, Archer does ask, you know, where's Archer? If I'm in Archer from from a year ago, whatever it is, you know, where's he now? We get some BS explanation yeah. from Daniels about it. But a question about Porthos. Was that Porthos from the past? Or was that present day, so to speak, Pothos for Archer that had gone back as well. Mm. So which Pothos was Archer <laughs> stroking at the start of that? Was it? You know, I don't. I don't know. This is a deep question, man. I know. Um, I wasn't wasn't quite prepared for it. <laughs> I want to know. Did he time travel? Well, let's just say for the sake of argument, Daniels couldn't pinpoint. You know, exactly one person. He could just do only do a room. So he took Porthos with him with Archer. <laughs> now, if we try to break this down even more, then imagine if. He was just putting them into the body of the ones there. Then what would happen if you got it wrong? And he accidentally had <laughs> Archer go into <laughs> Porthos's body and Porthos into the body of of Archer. We could have had a whole other dilemma going on then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we could be crossing streams too because it'd be a quantum leap thing. Yeah, it would be. It would be. It'd be the crossover, the the proper crossover we we're waiting for. Let's have uh, Colonel Gratt show up and then then we'll be sorted. <laughs> I don't know if it if Porthos did travel back because he didn't look too puzzled by the. The situation that was unfolding. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to make of it, Will Pothos. I'm going to go with your thing. 
We'll say it was Pothos. He also time traveled. Yeah. First dog to time travel in Star Trek that we know of. Uh, we'll we'll stick to that. Okay. So the attack on the Sulan ship, mm-hmm. the planning of it, the the execution, both in universe and as like a filming sequence. You know, what did you think that that whole sequence? I did enjoy it. It, it kind of showed showed us exactly kind of what a what sort of a mission would would look like there on on the Enterprise on any given day. Even though we haven't really seen any other scenes really like that, I think either before or since. It had like an urgency to it that is not always there in the action scenes, and it felt yeah very much like a like a spy mission. You know, they were getting in, getting out, knew exactly what they were doing. I mean. Archer must have, like, photographic memory or something. I mean, how did he remember everything that him and Daniel spoke about in the past? He said that they did two hours mm-hmm. of um, planning with Daniels, and then when he comes back, he knows which computer in the Suluan ship to go to, all these bits and pieces. I'm like, dude, how do you remember all that? That is, that is nuts. <laughs> Even if you're a really smart guy, that is incredible that you've remembered all of these things. Unless Daniels kind of knows how to mind meld at this point, too. Maybe, maybe. Because, you know, he's not he's not fully human. That's one thing I think people forget. Yeah, yeah. He, he does look human, but he's not 100% human. So it could be residuals from his ancestors coming out that he could be able yeah. to. I hadn't thought about that. He could have all sorts of abilities that we don't we don't know about. Ooh, I, I look forward to our Crewman Daniels character study at some point in the uh, in yeah. the future. That's going to blow my mind, probably. And I suddenly have questions coming to my head on the on the show <laughs> that I've never thought about. Yeah. And I'm going to confuse the hell out of myself as we go. So you were a fan of that sequence then. And it was nice to see the Enterprise crew take charge, wasn't it? Because they get their asses kicked all the time. And particularly in this episode, like just emotionally and stuff, they get their asses kicked. So it was good to see them just go in and know what the hell they were doing mm-hmm. and win. They won in that moment. But it's kind of short-lived, yeah. isn't it? Because very soon after, they end up being surrounded by Sulaban ships, the little pod ship things, and they have the little devices on the ship now that can detect the cloak ones. I mean, what are you thinking when they use those and they realise that they they are surrounded when they see on the view screen? What's, what's your feeling as a viewer? Oh, shit. <laughs> I suppose they had to have the future guy in Silic's scene to add a context to all those final bits, but I feel like had they not had that scene, it would have been even more of a like oh shit moment because you would have would have not expected it just suddenly they put the scanners out and you're like oh my god there's loads of them what the hell are they gonna do so yeah there was a little bit of chills in that moment this all leads obviously to the big cliffhangers then so 800 years into the future for old jonathan archer i mean when he first steps out of the turbo lift and then we realize he's in this destroyed corridor i mean where did you think he was initially I thought somehow he got transported back to the colony at first. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Then I worked it out and I was like, oh, 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 crap. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's all gone wrong. I can't remember what I thought at the time. I think I thought he was on the Enterprise still, but had been, had gone forward some way. Yeah. So I, I thought there was time travel involved. I thought maybe he just flashed forward to a point where maybe just after the attack and like, you know, the, sh- the ship had been left battered and bruised. I don't think it occurred to me straight away that Daniels would have pulled him out because Daniels was such a small part of the episode. You kind of forget that he's there actively working in the background doing things. Yeah. When he did realize that he's on earth and Daniels is shocked and such and all this destruction. I mean, what what are you thinking at that moment? First off, do you, do you like cliffhanger endings to a season? If it's a show I'm watching straight through like for the first time, 
I mean, I don't really get to experience the cliffhanger. However, at the time when I when I had seen or when when I had just season one of Enterprise, that was all I had. So I had to wait <laughs> until it was on TV to see what had happened at the end. Yeah. So what did you think of it as a cliffhanger? What thoughts are running through your head? How are Daniels and Archer going to get out of this one? Yeah. What exactly is going on and how are they going to continue on? Because I know this is season one, but <laughs> but they're making it seem like it's going to end right here. So how are they going to fix it? Yeah, I think we'll talk more, I guess, about that cliffhanger on, on the next uh, episode of our show. Because without going too much into spoilers, I guess, on that front. But yeah, you are left there. The main thing you said there, Chris, which was how the hell are they going to get out of this one? Because they made a very clear point, And I think this, was, this ended up being an unfortunate thing that they did. But they made it very clear that there was no tech left to send them back, mm-hmm. that everything was gone, and that there was no way to return home. No way. Daniels, who generally speaks in facts, made it very yeah. clear there was no way. And yeah, you're thinking, well, how the heck? Because you know he's going to get back. Like, you know yeah. he's going to go back. You know he's got to. I'm thinking maybe, maybe I thought at the time that it was going to be someone from the past that was going to be able to bring him back. Yeah. Rather than him and Daniels initiating that fact. But yeah, I just remember that pan out. If you think about Trek scenes and images that are in your head, mm-hmm. that pullback of Archer and Daniels in that, in that building, all the destruction on them, I think that is a scene that stays with me. And it also is very non-Trek, don't you think? Like that whole shot is not yeah. a Star Trek kind of shot. We don't see stuff like that in Star no. Trek. Did you have any thoughts about how that had happened at the time? I figured it had to do something with Archer since he was the only one that that, would, that had changed the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just didn't know exactly what. Yeah, I, I think my initial thoughts were that it must have been Temporal Cold War related. But yeah, obviously yeah. Archer not being around created the problem, as was really hammered home in the next episode. But going on to what, what I said to you about, you know, do you like cliffhanger endings to a season? I have certain parameters Within, like, when I do like them, when I don't. Okay. The Trek-style cliffhanger of that random story for the, the final episode of the season with a big cliffhanger going into the next season, I don't mind that when it's like network TV. So finale as in May, you're likely going to get the next season starting in September or October. So it's only like a five, a four to five month wait. And you got all the hype for the last two or three months of that of interviews and the shows back in production and set photos. Uh, this was different back then in, in the UK because we wouldn't get new episodes until January back then. Yeah. Sky were an enterprise, if I remember right. But they wouldn't air new episodes of US shows until January. So even though you guys were getting them in September, they'd start in January for us. But we wouldn't get any of the breaks. So whereas you, the show would stop for a week or two weeks or whatever with you, and then you get a new episode or two or three new ones, and it's gone again for a week or two, we didn't get that. So we would always end up catching up. So even though we'd start like three months later, we'd catch up like either we'd be within a few days or a week of when you'd see the finale, we'd see the finale. But it meant that wait was long, you know, so we'd have to wait (laughs) from May until June until the following January. That sucks. (laughs) Nowadays, when I watch network shows, I, I don't mind the big cliffhanger, but I don't like it on shows now we don't see it so often on streaming shows but you know like where sometimes you have to wait two years for the next season i get they want to put a hook on to make you come back for the the next season and, the, and they kind of have to put something in place to so the next season's not starting from a dead stop all the time I, this is one of my worries for discovery season four for example which is going to be a yeah. reduced number of episodes because of covid but they've got no ongoing storyline 
that's really propelling them into the new season. They're going to have to start it from scratch again. I, yeah, I really hate when there's like a two-year gap and they do a cliffhanger. I think it kills the cliffhanger for me as a viewer. But if there's a few months between it, I don't mind. I'm more a fan of a show which tells its story. I like serialized storytelling. So yeah. tells its whole story in that season and then can have a cliffhanger that is unrelated. I'll use Discovery again. Season one, all wrapped up. Yeah. Boom, Enterprise shows up. You know, and that, that was a big, like, whoa moment. What the hell is going to happen in season two? So for me, that's my kind of cliffhanger ending. I don't I don't like the, the big twist one that's going to have a weak resolution, which I guess we'll talk about next time with this. You know, kind of like with, with Mr. War Fire, where, you know, the, it's the great cliffhanger, but it doesn't quite deliver on the back end. Uh, best of both worlds. Yeah, I think we're going to really sort of get into that on the next episode, I think, because... Uh, that is a thing that Trek has been guilty of, I think, with its cliffhangers. But I think we can say that with Shockwave Part 1, that actually they did everything right. They gave us the big hook for next season, you know, all these things. And I tried to think of it like that and not tarnish it with how it was resolved after. I'll speak about that more next time. So where does this rate for you as a Star Trek season finale cliffhanger? So that that moment and the Enterprise surrounded, where does it sit for you uh, amongst the cliffhanger endings we've had? Are you asking current me or after first watching it? Let's do both then. Okay. Okay, so after first watching, you haven't even seen part two. Yeah, I hadn't seen part two. And really, I just had all three seasons of the original series and the the animated series season and a half they had there and at that point it was definitely i guess it was really the only one that that did have the cliffhanger so at that point it would have been the best (laughs) by default (laughs) yeah but since then for me i think that the the best cliffhanger between seasons is the end of discovery season one i've got this one just below it you're biased then on that uh on that one (laughs) though but yeah that came out of nowhere didn't it that cliffhanger yeah, uh, which was great. Oh wow! So this is like sitting number two for you, basically. Then yeah, and then and then probably probably best of both worlds. This cliffhanger gets kind of forgotten about. I think this was yeah. a real holy shit. What the hell? Going How on? are we going to get out of this moment? And I think it's lost in Trek. Maybe it's because you know Enterprise wasn't seen yeah. by as many eyes, and now when people are finding it, they're watching the whole thing in one go, so they don't really get the shock and the weight that everyone had at the yeah. time to resolve the cliffhanger. You know, would Best of Both Worlds Part 1 cliffhanger have had such an impact if you could watch Season 4 straight away afterwards? Yeah. You know, like it's suddenly that cliffhanger doesn't mean a whole lot because the, the divide in seasons isn't really there when you're, when you're binging. So I don't know where I would place it. It's one of the, it's one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think DS9 did a few that really, really like got me, you know, thinking for the whole, the rest of the year, you know, for what's going to come the end of Season uh, Season 5. Yeah, uh, when he'd left his baseball and that there on the on the station when they were uh, abandoning and uh, things like that, those kind of cliffhangers. They weren't huge, jaw dropping. Oh my god, cliffhangers! But that was like a holy crap! It's going to kick off next season. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. A very modern day kind of cliffhanger, actually. That those days yeah. ones. But for jaw dropping cliffhangers, this must probably be up there for me. With let's let's think about this. Voyages, Scorpion Part 1, felt like a big cliffhanger. Yeah. I remember actually Basics Part 1 from Voyager when they were just left on the on the planet. And you see Voyager flying yeah. away. That that was another one of those. Oh my God, how the hell are they going to fix this situations? Which must be a Trek speciality. So I'm not sure where I'd rank it, but I find it interesting more from you to find out that the Discovery Season 1 is at the top of your, your list. Yeah. Let's talk overall opinions then over the episode. What did you think? I did really enjoy it. 
still do. And I keep saying it, I feel like I'm a broken record on this, but another hidden gem, just because <laughs> we are the black sheep of the Trek family. Yeah, yeah, we are. I got a comment from Facebook, actually, from, uh, oh God, I always worry I'm going to pronounce his surname wrong, uh, from Stuart <laughs> McIlwain. Sorry, Stuart, if I got that wrong. Please correct me. Stuart's a really great listener for us. Always mm-hmm. chips in with, with his own thoughts and feelings on our, just, even when we're all disagreeing <laughs> on on things, <laughs> Stuart chips in with his thoughts. He's not afraid to, to have a different opinion to us as well, which is fantastic. And Stuart is a great member of Hollow Sweet Media's Nexus, where we have any sort of discussions about track and other things. So thank you for all of that, Stuart. But Stuart said, and it's a bigger comment, so I'm only going to read out the bit that's relevant to part one, because we'll save part two for next week. But Stuart wrote, I was shocked at the closing scene of Shockwave. Daniels had clearly made a colossal mistake. This is why messing around with time travel can be so dangerous. How was he going to get Archer back and restore the timeline? There didn't seem to be anywhere left that could house suitable technology. I also wanted to know who had bombed Earth back into the Stone Age. How long ago had it happened? Had any of humanity survived? And if so, where were they? I almost feel sorry for Stuart because every question he had, it was never going to get answered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that's how we all felt at the time, particularly those yeah, of us who watched it live definitely. and you waiting for your season two to start airing on TV. And uh, yeah, so Stuart, thank you for that. I'm going to be very curious when we get into part two and we'll talk about comments you made on that as well. I like this episode. When I watch it back now, I'm amazed at how little action there is in the episode. Mm-hmm. I think I always remember it differently. Probably mixing in bits bits of Shockwave part two. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of love this episode because of the amount of character work. I've said about Archer being a very bad leader in the first half of the episode, but there was some great character work. We saw T'Pol, well, she challenged him to challenge the Vulcans. You know, I actually hadn't spoken about this. But yeah, she puts it to him saying, you know, I know the Vulcans are going to try and stop this mission. You need to stop them from doing that. And I think, was that the yeah. first time we really saw T'Pol come out and... Yeah, kind of side with, with the crew. Yeah, be one of the crew. And that would obviously happen on a much grander stage in the next episode. Yeah. But we, yeah, we start to see real indication that T'Pol was one of them and not part of the the Vulcan High Command. And so the, the amount of character work that goes on here, I thought was great. You know, Reed worrying about, well, he wasn't worried. He was adamant that they hadn't done anything wrong. But seeing yeah. that side of Reed and Travis and Hoshi talking about going back home. And what I, they were going to yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to stick up for Archer all the way. I mean, I guess the episode was trying to hammer to us that it was Archer's reputation that was going to be in tatters. Taking the biggest Yeah, team. they were all going to, everyone else was going to carry on as normal. Uh, but Archer was going to be someone people were going to be talking about and uh, how he failed at the mission and things. So uh, I love this episode. I love the cliffhanger ending. I'm less keen on the next episode that we're going to talk about. But uh, but no, I thought it was a really good good hour of TV and a solid end to the first season as well, uh, it should be said. I yeah. thought as a first season finale, it was very confident. Knew exactly what it was setting out to do. Had a clear goal throughout. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, definitely. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all of our existing patrons, 
We appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash annex01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at the Chris Hill and myself on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Um, so we jump to the ready room, and even though they're likely alone in there, the aspect ratio has them, like, basically oh standing gosh, inside like, of each other. <laughs> why are they so close and whispering in the ready room? I think there's no one on else ship. is in there. The doors are closed. You don't have to be right on top of each other, folks. I think they literally were just like had a three way and then came out of it. It's like, now we better talk business. Because, <laughs> you know, as they're speaking, their bodies are pressed up against one another. <laughs> Except pretty much. It was just really weird to watch. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast. Okay, well, it's one of those things where, like, you would expect, like, as medical history gets better and everything, like, life expectancy gets longer. Just like we've experienced in our own kind of world and planet, right? Like, it's way better now than it was 50 years ago versus 100 versus 200, so. Versus 5,000 years ago where you'd be lucky to live to, like, 30? Yeah, exactly. We'd already be done and dusted, my friend. Well, or we'd be super old. Right, we'd be like the village elders. <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Ladies Trek Library, a podcast by women with a passion for Star Trek books. The author of this book, Dana Kramer Rolls, this is the only Star Trek book she's ever written, which would explain why I've never okay. read anything from her before. Yeah, I heard that she did write some other sci-fi books, but no other Star Trek. Yeah. And she does seem like like she's a fan. It seems, from the way she handled the characters, I I would say she is a fan of Star Trek. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling that she was a fan um, and knew the characters. She has a PhD in folklore and history of religions. Cool. So that makes sense. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.